0: Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 11th of October, and this is Govindra Sethi Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Here are our top stories and themes. The IMF has raised India's growth projections to 6.3% for this year. The Israel Hamas war escalates, but markets and oil stable for now. Sales of anti-infective drugs reveal fresh weather-led disease patterns and Stockholm to ban petrol and diesel cars in the city centre.
1: This is a core report with Govindraj Raj Aethiraj.
0: The markets hold out. The Israel-Hamas war did not weigh in on Indian markets today as other financial and local factors took over. The BSE Sensex jumped 567 points to end at 66,079, and the Nifty 50 ended at 19,690, higher by 178 points. Oil too held on after it rose in the last 48 hours, now around $87 a barrel, as there appeared to be no impact on supply at least at this point. The rise, however, was the highest in the last six months. Meanwhile, record sales, particularly of more expensive homes, has pushed India's real estate stock benchmark to its highest in 15 years on Tuesday. The Nifty Realty Index rose almost 4.6% to 609 points, the highest since September 2008. Two of the 10 listed real estate players in the index rose to their highest level over a 52-week period, with another at a record high, according to website BQ Prime. The numbers that we've been discussing on the core report as well, the last quarter, that's July to September, saw a surge in demand with some 82,000 residential units being sold and that in turn reflecting a 12% growth year-on-year. This, in volume terms, was a six-year high. The mid and the high-end category of residential properties saw a further rise in sales momentum in that quarter. Properties costing over a crore of rupees saw a year-on-year rise of 39% while the mid-segment, that's the 50 lakh to 1 crore, saw a 14% rise, all of which obviously goes back to reflect in the real estate index that we just spoke about and the stock prices of real estate companies. IMF raises India growth projections. So real estate prices are up, the economy at some parts is doing well, so obviously GDP projections must rise too, the IMF on Tuesday raised its 23-24 growth projection for India by 20 basis points to 6.3%, citing stronger-than-expected consumption between April and June. The IMF's latest world economic outlook kept its global growth forecast unchanged at 3% for 2023, while paring down the 2024 projection by 10 basis points to 2.9%. This, just to remind you again, is the global growth figure. However, growth in India is projected to be strong, 6.3%, the number we just mentioned, for 2023 and 2024 as well, at least as far as the IMF is concerned, and reflecting an upward revision of 20 basis points or 0.2 percentage points for 2023, which in turn reflects a stronger-than-expected consumption during April to June. In its July report, the IMF had projected a growth rate of 6.1% for 2023 24 which of course was a 0.2 percentage point upward revision. Earlier this month, the World Bank too said its economic growth forecast for India remains at 6.3%, underpinned by strong investment growth. Both the Finance Ministry and the Reserve Bank of India have retained their 6.5% GDP growth estimate for 2024. So the numbers are quite close to each other and the variations, if any, may get ironed out towards the end of the year. Barclays and the 8% growth target Speaking of growth and the inevitable China comparison, investment bank Barclays has said that in order for India to become the biggest driver for global growth, even overtaking China, it would need to target an 8% growth. According to Barclays' analysts, India's growth has outperformed the rest of the world, achieving robust expansion with relatively low inflation, and is on the way to achieve at least 6% growth while keeping broad macro stability intact. But a question, the report says, is whether authorities can encourage more rapid growth without compromising. India's hard-won macro-stability that has dominated India's growth ambitions since the start of the Ukraine-Russia war. Amid considerable economic turbulence in the rest of the world, India has been an island of relatively better macro-outcomes in the past two years. On the surface, India is once again poised to be the fastest-growing economy in the medium term as global growth is expected to be weaker through 23-24 compared to historical levels, the report says, as quoted by money control. So Barclays argues that the government should nudge nominal savings rates closer to about 32.3% of GDP as against the 30.2% currently, and an incremental growth in the workforce of 3.5% per annum as against the 1%. Now, this could be done through increased female workforce participation. Interestingly, the report also says that capacity constraints highlight the need for greater investment to return to traditional sectors. It also calls for more public investment to drive the structural shift upwards in overall investment and push the GDP growth rate closer to 8 percent. Okay, back to now. Results season is kicking off, as I mentioned yesterday. The big number out today and something everyone watching to see how Indian IT is doing is TCS. There is an interesting work from home element in the company's strategy, which I'll come to in a moment. Broadly, consensus estimates suggest TCS is likely to clock a revenue of about 60,000 crores compared to about 59,000 crores in the first quarter. And according to Bloomberg, net profits are expected to rise 3% sequentially to about 11,000 crores. Now, markets will also look to see how the deal book is looking like and its share buyback, the fifth in six years, an indicator of how the company is using, or more importantly, not using the cash on its books. Now, TCS by the way, wants all its employees to return to office and end the work-from-home era. This means that overhead costs will increase. But I'm guessing that TCS has, like many other companies, concluded that collaboration and engagement are more critical for medium-to-long-term growth and success than the short-term gains that may be achieved by switching off air conditioners and people working out of home. TCS, by the way, is the country's largest private sector employee, so that's a lot of people moving back, though many are already back on many days. Drug sales show new infection trends India's anti-infectives drug segment has grown in September thanks to illnesses arising out of further shifting weather patterns Seasonal weather shifts and thus illnesses are of course common But do remember that we are looking year on year So September last year, coming out of monsoon for example, should be the same as this year Except that it's not Drugs in the antibacterials and antiviral segments grew in the month of September by 2 and 9% respectively, says a report from pharmaceutical research firm PharmaRack in Mumbai. Among the top 80% contributing therapies, anti-infectives has demonstrated a significant pickup in September in both price and volumes, followed by price growths in gastrointestinal, respiratory, pain and analgesics medications. Moreover, anti asthma and COPD products, that's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease products in the respiratory segments, have also grown mainly due to a rise in allergies because of an exposure to pollens and other allergens. Also, interestingly, a surge of dengue cases in several parts of India has contributed to increased use of carica-papaya combinations by a value growth of 38%. Remember again that this is month-on-month and therefore a clearly higher figure compared to last year. I reached out to Sheetal Sapale, Vice President Commercial at PharmaRack, and I began by asking her what was driving the jump in these anti-infective drugs in the month of September.
2: I have done a study of the disease pattern and typically over the last few years, what I understand is in the month of July, August, September, there is usually a spike in therapies like antibacterials, antivirals, ophthal antibacterials, as well as some cough and cold preparations. It is probably, you know, the monsoon receding happens somewhere in the month of September, October. And there is a drastic change in the climate and temperature, which actually increases viral infections. So all these conditions of viral infections, eye infections, typically happen because of the sudden change of temperature or climatic changes. And that may be the reason why we are seeing a sudden spike. And I studied the entire phenomena, July, September, October. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, the same phenomena has been repeated. And it actually coincides with the receding of rains and increase in viral infections.
0: Right. But this I'm assuming is the change is relative to the previous quarter or other quarters in the year. So if you're saying that September over September, there is a change. That means that there is a sort of an additional seasonal change, isn't it?
2: Yeah, this is because this time if you look at the monsoon, onset of monsoon was a little late. Monsoon, instead of arriving on 7th of June, it has arrived somewhere in mid-June. And the monsoon has receded also early. That's the reason why the temperature changes, climate changes have got a little disturbed as against the normal annual pattern.
0: Right. And you've also touched upon Dengu cases. Is that a new trend relatively in terms of the number of cases or the number of, at least from your point of view, the amount of medicines being bought for it?
2: No, Dengu cases is something which, if I look at the number of medicines bought for Dengu, yes, it has increased. But is it in line with the seasonal occurrence of Dengu every year? It more or less coincides.
0: What are the other trends that you're seeing, Sheetal?
2: Other trends in the sense, we are seeing a good hike in the respiratory conditions. Respiratory products have picked up quite well in the market today. Also, if I look at the pain and analgesics, typically antiviral infections are also accompanied with pain category products. So, even they have shown this type of increase in uptake. So, I mean, it's more or less in line with the seasonal pattern. Only thing is little aberration because of our monsoon cycle gone little haywire this
0: year. Right. And finally, any changes or shifts in the top brands? I understand there are some shifts there.
2: Yeah. So if I talk about the top brands, Glycomid GP, Augmentin has stayed at the number one position for the year as well as for the month. Even Glycomid GP has stayed at number two position for the year as well as for the month. Some brands which have actually moved up in terms of rank are Morosef, which is anti-infective from Aristo for the month that has gone on the number three position. For a quote from CIPLA again, which is belongs to the asthma category, even that has moved up in rank. So, yes, there have been slight shifts. CIPLA's brand was at number one position, but if I were to talk about a significant shift in rank, Monosef, which for the year is at rank 10, is at rank 3 for the month of September. This also indicates pickup of certain bacterial infections because of which the uptake has moved up.
0: And does that link back to the other point that you made earlier, which is about the seasonal change that we are seeing?
2: Yeah, to a good extent, it connects. But also Monosef wouldn't be a product which is mainly for cough and cold preparations. It would be a product which is more for hospital-related anti-infectives. So as we say, the hospital cases stay to be on the higher side because of many of the pent-up surgeries have picked up. So typically, if I look at augmenting the brand, it stays at a top position. But the growth of Augmentin has slightly come down. Whereas if I look at Aristo, the unit as well as the value growth stays to be double digit.
0: Right, uh, Sheetal. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Many Indias to one Tokyo. Did you know that Tokyo and Greater Tokyo has roughly 1 billion square feet of commercial office space? Guess what the figure is for all of India? Well, it's only 800 million square feet, only if you compare it to Tokyo. That one figure obviously illustrates the contrast and the opportunity. India is adding anywhere between 40 to 45 million square feet of new office space every year and thus is obviously increasing the entire office supply. But much of this 800 million square feet has come in the last 5 to 7 years. Before that, the market was apparently less than half the size. Anshuman Magazine, chairman of C.B. Richard Ellis, one of the world's largest real estate companies, told me in a conversation on the core report, Weekend Edition, when I asked him about the trends he was seeing not just in office real estate, but also in areas like retail and logistics, both of which are growing across the country. However, Bangalore seems to be leading the office space market.
1: See, if we look at the supply you're talking about, every year in India, anywhere from 40 to 45 million square feet of new office space is being added on and that is you know increasing the entire office supply we had there was a time where india's entire office supply was very small today you ask uh, a good question what is the relevant supply where corporates are taking space it is close to about 800 million square feet which if you look at from one perspective tokyo and greater tokyo has a billion square feet office space We as an entire country of 1.4 billion people still have 800 million. So one end, if you compare it to even Tokyo and, you know, one city of the greater Tokyo of a relatively small country, we are still less. But if you take it from other angle where we were some years back, it's a big, big jump in space. And a lot of this has come in last five, seven years. Before that, the market was less than half the size. So that is the supply and the supply still continues because what has happened in the market, the two things, why there is still construction happening in the office space. One is, of course, demand. India is still, I would say, number one offshoring destination globally, especially for the US. And India has got the track record of delivering quality services at a competitive cost. So all the large multinationals, as you know, do their offshoring. What is also added since last few years, the GCCs, which are opening up in India. Again, there's a lot of confidence in India, and they are expanding. So the demand is uh, good. And the other is that for the investors, REIT structure has provided the exit which wasn't there before. So that's why you see large financial institutions like Blackstone, Brookfield, GIC, are putting money in the real estate market and the office market because they can put a reIT structure and get an exit as well as you know their professional way of managing the asset so these two are encouraging the supply of space and that's why we see 40 45 million plus square feet of new supply coming in which is also kind of rare in these times anywhere else
0: and stockholm bans petrol and diesel Before I go, news is that Stockholm plans to ban petrol and diesel cars in part of the city starting in 2025 in a bid to crackdown on pollution. An area of about 20 blocks that straddles the Swedish capital's finance area and main shopping drags will only allow electric cars, some hybrid trucks and fuel cell vehicles, according to reports quoted by Bloomberg. Stockholm could be the first major capital to introduce such a wide prohibition and goes further than plans by Paris, Athens and Madrid to ban diesel cars. Other cities including London have introduced low emission or congestion-free zones that include daily fees for entering the city centre in older combustion engines. Elsewhere, Brussels in December banned non-essential and non-local car traffic on 10 key streets in August, London completed one of the world's most ambitious vehicles emissions policies by expanding its ultra-low emissions zone. I just have one question. When will we do something similar in Lower Perel, Mumbai? And I'm sure you too have something similar for your own city. That's it from me. Bye for now. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the Thank you for listening.